You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Happy third week of Lent. Y'all, it's tough for me. Lent, how's it going for y'all? I mean, the stuff that I give up, I just keep getting surrounded by it. It seems like every situation I'm in, my, my mouth starts to water. I start to long for this thing that I've given up. It's not easy, uh, but it's so fruitful, actually, if we, if we pay attention to those cravings. And so many times, I can't how many times I've, told, I've prayed this prayer, Lord, you know this is what I want, but I know that that desire is actually for you. Help me see that, Lord. I hope that you all continue to keep your holy Lent uh, with the rest of us here at Res. Well, last Sunday, um, I was heading out, and there was one of our Res kids who met me on the way out. You know, I, I have to hug everybody that goes through, and I know you guys love that. Um, but there's a kid who came up, and we had a conversation. He said, Father Sean, where's, where's the water? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, why is there so much sand where the water was? So we had this little conversation on my knees with this little tiny one. I miss the water too, don't you? Yeah, I really do. I miss the water. I've seen some of you walk by that thing at the baptismal font and wonder, what are we supposed to do with this? Do you dip your fingers in this? I mean, this is what, most of you just kind of walk around it like strangely, like it's not welcome and you miss the water too. I know what your hearts are really thinking. I miss the water. And there's something about this that disrupts our path on our way to our chair uh, disrupts kind of the routine that we get into that just stands in our way in a really, sometimes to be honest, an unwelcomed way. Like, ugh, well, how, how off-putting. This disruption, this is Lent. This is Lent in our lives, that, ugh, that desert. Um, that's right, we're still in the desert. 40 years in, we're still in the desert. It's something that we can't shake, something that we, we can't forget. This is actually, um, I think, what Paul's getting at in his letter, 1 Corinthians 10. Did you all remember hearing this this morning? He was talking about um, and recounting all of Israel's wilderness journeys and all the wonderful things, the amazing things that happened. Well, I, in my, like, um, I don't know, I have a strange imagination. When I sit down and read this, I picture St. Paul barging into my office and dumping 30 pounds of sand over my hair and on my desk and all over my clothes and in my shoes everywhere. And if you've ever tried to get sand out of places, out of anything, it's like, it's everywhere. It's so hard to get rid of. It's, it's an annoyance. It's awful. Well, imagine reading this, St. Paul barging into your life, saying, never forget the desert. Dumping 30 pounds of sand in your bed, in your computer, in your beer fridge, all over your head. When you're paying your bills, you're trying to see your bills, sand pouring all over you. Maybe when you're flipping through your phone trying to read the news, the sand pouring all over your news feed, all over your shoes when you're trying to get out the door in a hurry, or all over your diaper bag when you're just trying to get the kids in the car. Remember the desert. Why? Why, Why this interruption, this disruption of sand, this desert experience? Why does this need to be right before us? Well, listen to what Paul says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be unaware Brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, in verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink. They, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And this is peculiar. Listen to this. And the rock was Christ. Interesting. So Paul walks us through the story, 
recounting those almost unbelievable occurrences out in the wilderness. The whole story all queued up before us. Now we can all see it. It's in the room. And he says again in verse 6, all of this was given to us as an example for us. And here's why. So that we might not desire evil as they did. Again in verse 12. So if you think you're standing, if you think that you're better than them, or if you think that somehow you're like extra special, even though Paul has said maybe like five times, and all of them went through the cloud, and all of them were baptized, and all of them drank from the same spiritual font, and all of them ate the same spiritual food, all of them were being provided for by Christ, maybe not even knowing, but all of them did. So if you think you're special, you think you're standing on your own, you think that maybe you got this when you don't. Paul warns us, watch out, you do not fall. Like Israel, who went through all of those things. Can you imagine being led by a pillar of fire and of smoke, seeing Pharaoh's ar army drowned in the seas, seeing bread literally fall from the skies when you had nothing to eat, water spilling forth from a rock. They experienced all of that and yet they fell. After all that God did, not only did they fall, but they fell hard, friends. Listen to this. They worshiped idols. They were sexually immoral. Some were destroyed because they complained. 23,000, are you serious, died in one day because of snake bites that God sent to them? All of this because they put Christ to the test, St. Paul says. So this whole story is given to us like on a fence like a high, highly electrical fence or something like that. Danger, don't, don't forget the, de the desert because if you forget the desert, you're actually making a decision about who you are, that somehow that you're better off than them, that you're not gonna make those same mistakes, that you won't fall as they did. It was the danger of a people who forgot God's provision. Even if it was just last week, those ways that we just, oh yeah, I forgot that God answered my prayer. I'm, I forgot that God provided me in this way. There's a danger in forgetting God's provision. And there's a danger also in losing sight of God's leading in our own life. And here's the danger, friends. It's not just like religious things, like religious observance, like you screwed up as a Christian, now you're an awful Christian. No, we actually believe about Jesus when we follow him, when, when he leads us, that he's leading us unto the good life, to provision to human wholeness, to peace, to mercy, to beauty, to truth. God is leading us and providing this for us. And so when we lose sight of that, what ends up happening is we become twisted up, broken, um, just kind of disfigured human beings. We actually become less human when we lose sight of who God is and the ways that he's leading and providing for us. So it's not inconsequential. It's not just like, well, like kind of, well, if you're not going to do that, maybe you could do this other sort of religious thing. And, or maybe you could just go make yourself busy this way and go, go party and like go watch a movie. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just distract yourself. Lent is that desert space that, that all the distractions are put aside just for a moment so we would realize that God is actually leading us somewhere and it is a good where. It is a good place. And he has it in mind for us if we could only keep sight of him. Maybe you can relate with some of this. I certainly can. I'm reading my own story in the pages of scripture here relating to Israel who fooled themselves into believing that um, they could handle this. They got this. They could handle more than they could. 
really actually handle. They could go their own way. They could chart a better course through the desert. Y'all, it wasn't even that far of a distance. It would have taken like maybe a couple months, but instead they were out there wandering for 40 years. They thought they could chart a better path through the desert to the promised land. They had this, and this is the part I can really relate to, they had this really overblown sense of themselves, the self-confidence that was just out of touch with reality. An ability that I think sometimes I had, I can handle temptation, I can fight that temptation, I got this. Or maybe for others, you convince yourselves that maybe my sins aren't as bad as other people's sins, and so at least like if we're grading on a curve here, like I'm not in that bad of shape, right? When human beings lose sight of God, this is how we start to talk to ourselves. This is what it looks like when, when we as sinful beings are turned in and twisted in on ourselves. We come up with these distorted visions of life. It's not the good life. We know that for sure. And instead of trusting God, we begin to despair. We realize, start to taste despair in your life. It starts to creep in this darkness. Everything starts to just not be so hopeful. To what end? Like how long do I have to deal with this? And there's no... There's no hope. There's no real hope in things. It's just distraction after distraction or medication after medication to try and just, just keep our hope floating a little bit with alcohol or sex or, or popularity or reputation or work status or accomplishments or paychecks or whatever. Just enough just to keep me afloat. But when all that goes away, we realize and when we, sometimes when we lay our head on the pillow at night, does this ever happen to you? You think, what have I done today? What has my life become? If I was to examine my life today, have I really put my trust in the leading of Jesus? Or did I just put my trust in the leading of my calendar? Sometimes that happens to me, probably more often than I'd like to admit. Well, in our reading today, we see how this quietly takes shape in someone's life. We kind of get to tease out some of these details. That naive self-confidence, that, that turning to other people's sins and judgment distraction from our own sins, all of this we get to see actually leads one, a human being, to death. This is why Paul's saying, friends, don't forget the desert. You so quickly forget. Don't forget the desert. So what's the way forward in the desert? Here we are, third week of Lent. We are squarely in the desert. Some of you guys are into your fasting, your praying, and your giving, and it's starting to feel like, oh, man, this is like not easy. This is not easy. What's the way forward? Well, I think we find that answer in the story in the gospel. Jesus was approached by some in the town. He was speaking to the crowds, okay? Here's the scene. And some of the crowd told him of some other folks who suffered from Pilate mingling their blood with the blood of pagan sacrifices, which this is like absolute, this is like ranks number one on like awful things that could happen. Um, the highest degree of like defilement of a, of a sacrifice of worship, especially in Jewish belief where it was believed that the life is in the blood. This is why you weren't allowed to um, drink the blood of animals because the life is in the blood, which by the way is an interesting setup for the Holy Eucharist if the life is in the blood. I'll just leave that there for a minute. But to mix one's blood with pagan sacrifices was the most intimate, the most internal way of defiling a person's life. What do you think about these people, Jesus? Man, that's awful, isn't it, right? Most evil kind of communion. Another story was mentioned in the Gospels. Remember this one? That tower in Siloam that fell on these people and killed them. And all of this, the crowds are kind of like stoking Jesus. So isn't this awful? The way that 
They must have sinned, like, they must have, can you imagine what they had done to deserve that? Yikes, Jesus. Tell us what you think, Jesus. Jesus responds, always from a place of, I'm sure he's, I don't know, I don't know what's in his head. But my, his response is always really striking to me because I would want to, like, take a wiffle bat to these people, you know what I mean? Or, like, do something crazy out of frustration. But Jesus has just this sense of himself where he's, he's just going to lay down some wisdom for people and, and, and let everybody see the truth of things. And what he does, he doesn't combat these people. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, like, um, enrage respond to them. He doesn't fly off. But he says in a real non-anxious way, I imagine... Do you think that because any of these things happened to them that they were worse sinners than you? Do you really think that? Do you really think that you're better than them? Twice Jesus says this. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, don't worry about them for a second. Unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Can you imagine Jesus standing here at Rez? with all of the categories of sin and the peoples that we have in our minds are like, well, at least we're not as bad as the Democrats or the Republicans or those people, whatever, whatever that crowd is, right? Those, those crowds that we judge is that, well, at least we're not as bad as them. Can you imagine Jesus standing here in the middle of Rez, saying, kind of like we just did here, reading the gospel, hearing his words, saying, looking at you in the eyes and saying, no, I tell you, listen to me, unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Twice saying this to you in the eyes. In one sentence, two times said, Jesus takes our whole science of sin management, the system in our head about how that all works, the formulas, the justifications, all the narratives, the tapes we run to make ourselves better, feel better about ourselves, our, our clever reasoning, the way we angle in our relationship with God. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm kind of a nice person. And he gives us this really simple, straightforward warning. Unless your life bears fruit, friends, unless it bears the fruit of repentance, it's only one thing he's giving us to do. Unless your life bears the fruit of repentance, you will be cut down. The parable he told. Where's the fruit on this tree? Man, they talk a good game. They show up to church every Sunday. Jesus says to us, Unless your life bears the fruit of repentance, we're going to cut this tree down and get rid of it. It's taking up space. Man, that's harsh. But it's true, isn't it? I think some of us, um, especially in our tradition, think, well, as long as I receive Holy Eucharist every week, like, I'll be less of a jerk eventually, right? Unless your life bears the fruit of repentance, there's no magic that's going to, like, make you less of a jerk. Believe it or not. And that's why always when we come to receive Holy Eucharist, we begin with repentance. We're all on our knees confessing our sin the way that we did at the beginning of this service. This aren't just like disparate acts in the liturgy. This is actually all part of the same storyline that Jesus is inviting us into of repentance. Don't forget the desert, friends. Be on your knees. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and then come feed on this forgiveness, this new life that you have in him. There's no silver bullet in the Christian life. Not your quiet times, not if you tithe or not, not if you're like, you are so busy serving the church that you're like exhausted at the end of the day. Y'all, thank you. That's wonderful. God bless you. But please don't do that as some sort of like pill to cure your soul, because it won't. It'll actually eat you alive. That stuff comes on the other side of repentance, always. 
Jesus makes it super clear. Step one, step one isn't to sign up for a table group. Step one is repentance. Unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. This is the only thing we really need to concern ourselves with. Nothing else, nobody else, no other category of sin. Jesus, in a really loving way, and he always calls us out out of love. He, in a really loving way, puts us in touch with our truest self, actually, in this moment. He puts us in touch with reality. We are weak people. I'm so easily tempted. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, as the hymn says. Unless you repent right now with what you have, with what you know, you will perish like the rest of them. Man, this is uncomfortable to sit with, isn't it? Well, if it is, and it is a little bit for me, I want to encourage you. Actually, this is a really beautiful way to begin. Because this is, this is beginning on the right foot, in fact. Because in this repenting self, you're actually bringing to Jesus, you as a disciple are bringing to Jesus, not who you think Jesus would want you to be or who you think people next to you in the seats would want you to be as a Christian, but you're bringing your true self, your repenting self as a disciple of Jesus. So when we come to the altar and we offer our lives, our bodies as living sacrifices, we're not offering some other version of ourselves, some sort of online Instagram version of ourselves, but we're actually offering our most in touch with ourselves person in repentance. There's nothing else you actually have to offer. That's it. You have your repentant self to offer. Well, what about her issues though, Sean? Look at this guy, he's a jerk. Am I the only one here who tithes? Jeez. Am I the only one here who serves? Am I the only one in the world that's like not sleeping around with other people? Ugh. Am I the only one who's not doing drugs? Am I the only one who's doing this right? St. Paul says to you, so if you think you're standing, watch out that you do not fall. That tape in our heads, it's not just benign. It's not like inconsequential. When we live in that, that narrative, it actually forms our heart into these kinds of bitter, unrepentant people. It hardens us, actually. And we end up finding we, we have decided not to follow Jesus a long time ago because we're just trying to do what everyone else is not doing. We're trying to, like, manage our sin at least a little bit better than everyone else as opposed to repenting and following Jesus for ourselves. Now, when I say repentance, uh, some of you may think, okay, I've been in those churches where there's like uh, wailing and tears, you know, and people are like falling on the ground or whatever. Um, that, that can be what repentance looked like. Some, actually, we probably could use some of that, to be honest with you. But it's, it's not always so complicated. It doesn't have to be so showy. It's actually a really simple idea that repentance is a decision that you make to change the way you've been thinking, thinking and acting. Metanoia, to just change your mind about something and then to live accordingly. That's repentance. You can do that even now, sitting here, thinking. And this really simple response of just changing the way we're thinking and acting about something, it's actually the only response that demonstrates that we understand just how good the grace of God is. When we don't try to cure ourselves, 
or apply some sort of medication on ourselves, but instead turn to repentance and decide to change the way I'm thinking or acting about something, we invite the grace of God. God, there's no way I can change this apart from your help. Apart from your undeserved kindness on me, your mercy, God, the gifts you get, I need your help if I'm truly going to follow through with this repentance. We learn that in repentance, God is the only thing that can lead us through it and into the good life. And you notice in Paul's letter, uh, he says that curious thing recounting all of the desert story. He said, and the rock was Christ. So if you don't know like biblical chronology, um, this was like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would actually ever show up. And Paul's saying, and that rock, when Israel was in the desert and thirsty and they had nothing to drink, and the rock was split open and the fount of water spilled out, that rock was Christ. Huh, that's an interesting way to read the Bible. The Bible reading itself. We must not put Christ to the test, he also says in verse nine. It's interesting the way Paul does this, but his point is, and I do believe that is actually true, that the provision of God even then is the same provision that you and I have today in Christ. We're all baptized into his life. We'll come to his table to feed. We have the same provision that they did even now. And it's Christ. It's the grace of God that we have in Jesus. It's the forgiveness of sins that's available to us now. One of the most vivid examples of of thinking about repentance and really needing the help of God to follow through with it for me is when I have to apologize to my kids. Anybody ever had to do that? Um, Or to someone who who looks to you as if you should know better, you should be better. Have you ever had to apologize to someone like that? It's really difficult to ask for forgiveness to a child that you love and you know that they idolize you, you're their hero and you do something wrong by them and to apologize, super humbling. It's embarrassing. It's like awful. It hurts to do. It's actually kind of scary as a parent because you think, well, if I apologize to my kid, then they're going to see who I really am. They're not going to listen to me anymore. But you know what's really interesting about this in my experience? When we humble ourselves to apologize to our children, and to try and confess our sin, our wrong, and then say, how do I make this right? You know what our kids do, at least what my kids do? They open up their arms to me, say, I forgive you, Dad. They give me a big hug, and immediately I'm their hero again. And when we find out ways to like make things right between us and in their embrace, I find I'm being healed. And there's this surprising thing on the other side of this really scary wall of repentance with our kids that I find is like this overflowing gift of God. This, like it shouldn't be so gushing, but our kids just gush on me and say, oh, dad, I love you. Are you kidding? It's okay. We'll make it right. It's no big deal. They, they really do put it away. It's almost as if they forget it altogether and they move on with life. Nothing else in my life has taught me about the grace of God and repentance than apologizing to my kids. So powerful. And I think, man, that was so worth it. What was I afraid of, really? Friends, this is, this is how we can approach our Heavenly Father, who is so ready to gush over us and to forgive us and to make things right, to put our sins away forever. But when we grow comfortable or lazy or weary or straight up sinful and we get just kind of used to our sinfulness, 
we stop re practicing repentance, we become fearful of it, we think it's something that we can't actually approach when we really can. I pray that in those moments, St. Paul would barge into our lives, dump 30 pounds of sand all over your body or wherever you are and say, remember the desert. Remember that God provides for you and only God provides for you. Only the Lord Christ, even in the desert, can provide for you and lead you to the good life. So put away your fear, confess and repent. One of the greatest gifts in our Anglican tradition and Roman Catholics and Orthodox is the tradition of sacramental confession. Um, during Lent, just so you know, I emailed out uh, last week in the newsletter just an explanation of how that works. It's super simple. It's not as scary as you might think. Um, in Lent, we're in the back area here, uh, from 9 to 9.30 in the mornings, every Sunday, I'll be hearing people's confession and inviting people and walking with people as they repent and make things right with the Lord. It's a really powerful experience. Even in my own life, it has been. I want to invite you guys to consider doing that. I dare you to try it at least once. Just come in with, like, you know, little sins and just, like, test drive it, and you'll see. Rez, I want to invite you today, in the middle of Lent, here we are, week three, do not be afraid to repent. It is not as scary as, it, as you think it is. Even in our desert, we don't have despair. We don't have a lack of provision. We have the good life in God that he's offering to us. We have everything that we need. His steadfast love is better than life. Oh, can you imagine receiving a steadfast love even in our sin? My lips will praise you, Psalm 63 says, that we just sang earlier. My soul clings to you. Your right hand, it upholds me. And all along that helping hand, that steadfast love in our lives, it was Christ. And it still is Christ. And he's still with us, leading us to repentance. Y'all, let's come and eat this morning. As a people who on the other side of repentance are now welcomed to the table. A feast of joy, a feast of newness of life the fruits of our repentance. We get to prepare ourselves even now to come and receive the body and blood of Jesus who paid the ultimate price so that when we do repent, our sins are forgiven. And not only our sins, but our whole lives are made new with him. Wherever you are this morning, you are not too far. And you have no intellectual objection. You have actually no reason that is greater than Jesus' own offering of himself to you this morning. Your invitation is one thing, to repent and to draw near. To receive Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, who with the Father and the Spirit lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.